Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. For those who were here last week, um, we were reminded about the amazing grace of God. I'm sure you're aware of the story of Saul of Tarsus, a man who absolutely hated Jesus, absolutely hated Jesus' followers, to the point that he took it on himself to be his personal responsibility to hunt out, persecute, and even kill those who believed and followed Jesus. And just as Saul met with the risen Jesus um, and found forgiveness and acceptance despite his past, despite all that he'd done, so we remembered again last week that that same grace is available to us, is offered to you and me. Amazing, amazing grace. (laughs) Well, that event that we listened and thought about last week, the other events that we've looked at through our summer series that are recorded in Acts, they shaped the life of that little fledgling, that new church as it was growing, as it was developing, as it was led and guided by the Holy Spirit. And this week we're going to continue to discover how the grace of God is at work in that new church, changing lives. But not only those like Saul who don't know Jesus, but also that ongoing work of transformation in those who do know him, you and me perhaps this morning, who know Jesus, that ongoing work of his grace in our lives, so that the gospel might spread, so that everyone would hear of this wonderful grace of God. So we're going to look at two people this morning, two visions or two dreams, and two transformed lives. One God. One God who works out his purposes in these people this morning. We've had a little sneaky peek, which we didn't have in the first service, so we know a bit about the story already, don't we, from the video that we watched. So our story, as we've found out, is based in Acts. We um, are in Acts chapter 10. If you'd like to turn to it, you'd probably find it helpful to have it open in front of you. I'm just going to explain, um, as the video did, a bit about the first person who is called Cornelius. We read about him in verses 1 to 8. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He's a gentle. That means he's not a Jew. But he is a devout follower of God, a devout God-fearer. And we actually meet him in the story as he's praying to the God of Israel. It's during the time, probably 3 p.m., one of the set times of uh, prayer for the Jewish people. And during that time of prayer, an angel of God comes and visits him. The first vision tells him to invite Peter. He's obviously heard about Peter, this Jewish convert to uh, Jesus. He says he's told to invite this guy to his house. So he sends off some of his servants, one of his soldiers, and he asks Peter, come, visit me immediately. One person, one dream, one response. But for Luke's first uh, readers, and perhaps we don't really feel the weight of this, this scenario would have made them sit up and think. It would have really, um, they'd have really sort of pricked up their ears. It would have unsettled them, this thought that this Gentile was being spoken to by God been shocking. They wouldn't have been able to get their heads around it. And Luke wants us to be in that place as we start this story, that this is shocking that God would speak to these Gentiles. Set the scene of, of what's to come. But as we've said before, look at how God is working through this story, how God's timing is perfect as we move through this story, how God unfolds his plan of grace in a life over here and a life over there and how they intertwine and collide 
And God does something amazing. So I want to read um, from Acts chapter 10, verse 9, into the story of Peter's vision. um, Acts 10, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, that's the people that Cornelius has sent, they're on their way to meet Peter. Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one that you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man. He's respected by all the Jewish people. And a holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along too. And the following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. Peter, a Jew, he's a follower of Jesus, and he has this vision. And he's left wondering what it's all about. He doesn't act immediately because he doesn't quite get what's going on. He certainly, as we've said, isn't comfortable with what he's seen and heard. In his vision, he's told that certain food that he's always considered off-limits, never eaten right from a, a child, were in fact no longer off-limits. God says, go ahead, eat them. No wonder he's confused. But he soon realizes that God is speaking about something much more than just food, much more important than just food. Because right then, in God's grace, these men, these Gentiles, appear, these non-Jews, the ones that Cornelius has sent, there they are at that moment, asking to meet with him. And he starts to make sense of what God has said to him in his dream. Because you see, as a Jew... Peter would have been raised with the Jewish prejudice. He would have been racism. Racism would have been an issue because for the Jew, Gentiles, non-Jews, were seen like filthy dogs. For example, if they were leaving or went through Gentile territory as they left, they would have shaken the dust off their feet, not wanting to be associated with them. They would never have eaten with somebody who was a Gentile or have ever have let a Gentile into their home. So amazing that in that moment, Peter invited them in. And here he is, Peter, being asked to go to a Gentile's home. Can you see? Can you get the feel of how against the grain for Peter this whole situation was? Totally here he is, out of his comfort zone. He'd, been, he'd grown up as a good Jew. He was trained and probably every day, thank God, that he was not a Gentile. 
And here he is, with, faced with this request to go to Caesarea, the capital, if you like, of where Gentiles lived, meet with a Gentile, a Roman centurion. Here he is, Peter, being challenged to rethink how his understanding of the gospel has been limited because of this unthought, unthought through prejudice that he's holding, this behavior that he has. I was reading uh, this week of a great story. I came across a great story of a young girl who um, one day after school, she went home and her mum was, was cooking the tea and, um, and it was, she was cooking a joint of meat and her mum chopped off the end of each end of the meat before she put it in the oven for dinner. Now, her mum always did this and her, her daughter had never really thought about it before, but that day she, she wondered why. So she said to her mum, why, why do you do that? And her mum went, I don't really know. That's just the way I've always done it. It's the way my mum always did it. Why don't you phone grandma and ask her? So the, the girl gets the phone, phones her grandmother. Grandma, why do you cut the ends off the joints of meat before you put it in the oven, before you cook it? And her grandmother said, I don't know. Not really thought about it. It's just what my mum always did. Just the way we've always done it. Well, great-grandma was, uh, was just down the road, actually, so she phoned her great-grandmother and asked her the same question. Why do you cut the ends of the joint of meat off before you cook it? And this is what her great-grandmother said. When I was first married, many years ago, we had a very small oven. <laughs> the joint of meat didn't fit in the oven unless I cut the ends off. Well, we may laugh, mightn't we? But it's a bit close to home, isn't it? <laughs> because how many times do we do things without even thinking about why we might be doing them? How many times in your life do you do things because that's the way you've always done it? That's the way my parents did it. And in the church, oh my goodness, in the church, <laughs> what part does tradition play in the way that we do things, in the way that we think things should be done? Well, because they've always been done that way. You know, Peter looked down. He discounted Gentiles because that's the way it had always been. Because of his tradition, of his upbringing, of his Jewish heritage. But that was never how God intended it to be. I guess... Excuse the phrase, but Peter had some wonky theology, didn't he, about the way things had always been done. His understanding of God, not quite right, not quite on target. And that needed correcting as his faith was growing and as he was sharing the gospel. The bottom line is Peter was prejudiced against the Gentiles. He was harboring this deep-seated belief that the Jews were favoured, that somehow they were superior. And the serious thing was that this... Prejudice, this racism was hindering the spread of the good news, the spread of the gospel. Pride, pride in the end, isn't it? Pride often leads to prejudice. So let's have a think for a moment. Might not be very comfortable because it's not very easy to recognize prejudice in our own lives, is it? But I just wonder this morning what might be those Gentiles in my life? What might be those Gentiles in your life that perhaps you've got so used to, just don't think about it anymore? Maybe the person who's a different colour to us, the person who holds different faith beliefs to us, 
the person who just has different opinions to us, the homeless guy down the road, or the one who drives the expensive car, or the person who uses the food bank, or the old age pensioner, or the young rebellious teenager, or the same sex couple, or the child with disabilities that we were hearing about earlier. <coughs> dot, dot, dot. The list could go on, couldn't it? You know, we might not like to use the word prejudice, but perhaps like the story, we need to be challenged too. We need to be challenged about how we view other people, how, as Chris said, how we judge other people, whether our understanding of God's grace has gone a bit wonky, has gone a bit, needs a bit of attention, needs to be thought about again. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was going, surely not, surely not, Lord. And I can, perhaps you're thinking, that, surely not, Kay, not me, not us. And I realised, oh, I sound a bit like Peter. Peter said, surely not, Lord, didn't he? Today, you know, we need to be willing, don't we, to hear God's gentle, gentle but persistent rebuke. Gentle but persistent rebuke of those attitudes, of those behaviours that have come out of, well, that's the way we've always done it. Let's read on and see what happens as God works this out in the story. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him stand up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. You can see this is already working out his understanding, can't you, for Peter? While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that this is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Well, as we've read on in the story, we discover that Peter goes to these men, he goes to Cornelius' house as he's been asked, and he blurts it out straight away to Cornelius. I'm not sure what Cornelius will have made of it. But he says he understands now that although the Jewish law says one thing, he knows that no one is, is off limits to God. No one is less or more loved by God and known by God. So he tells the people gathered in Cornelius' home that he realizes, and I love this line, God does not show favoritism. No one is beyond or outside of the reach of the gospel. I've got to say that again. No one, no one is beyond or outside the reach of the gospel. This means that everyone faces judgment on a level playing field. 
because God shows no partiality. If God shows no favoritism, then we all face judgment at the same level. There's no favorites. The Bible says that the wages of sin are death. It's what we all deserve, all deserve. But the fact is that if God has no favorites, it also means that because of Jesus, there isn't a single person who will not receive God's forgiveness and love if they trust in his son, Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That is amazingly good news this morning. God is both judge, but also savior for all. And as God's people, saved by God, by this amazing God who doesn't show favoritism, we're called to do the same, aren't we? We're called to follow like our God. No prejudice. No limits to who is offered the love of God. Is it a journey you're on? Certainly a journey I'm on. Is it a journey we need to take with Peter this morning to rediscover again, to remind ourselves again that God doesn't have favorites, that all, all are made in the image of God and valued. You know, it wasn't easy for Peter to take this journey, was it? And it's not an easy journey to take. Peter had to let go of that, but we've always done it that way mantra, didn't he? He had to let go of that pride that comes with thinking that he was more important, that he might be better than someone else. Pride is subtle, isn't it? Prejudice can be deep-rooted. It's like those weeds. I'm sure you have them in the garden. They can't just be in mine. That you dig them up, and before you know it, they're back again, aren't they? You just can't get rid of them. That's what prejudice is like. It just keeps reappearing, deep-rooted. And you notice that in the early church. Continue to wrestle over welcoming Gentiles into the church. In fact, right there in chapter 11, Peter gets criticized for, agree- for agreeing to go and meet with Cornelius by the other Christians. And then he explains, of course, the story of the way God has revealed it to him. But even later we read that Peter slips again into, oh, but this is the way it's always been. He gets comfortable back in the rut and Paul has to rebuke him and say, your attitude's wrong. But right here in this story, I love the fact that Peter has such a teachable spirit. He allows God to challenge that wonky theology, that wrong thinking, doesn't he? He's got a a real humility to be open to what God's saying, receptive to God being at work, even when he didn't really understand. He didn't really understand what God was saying. But as he did, God gave him the opportunity to act straight away and apply what he'd learned. And I think that's really important. He was brought to a place where his thinking and his behavior were not only challenged and questioned, but changed. And I wonder, um, as his his, his, um, thinking was, was changed through the vision and his heart was changed through the obedience of following and doing what God asked him to do. And I wonder if we're open, are we willing this morning to have our theology tested like that, our thinking tested. Or maybe for us it's a, taking that time to, to question those deep-seated behaviours and attitudes that we have and, and, hand, and hand them over to God. I wonder if we're open to let God reveal these things to us. Or is our, is our thinking a bit too tightly sewn up that 
as Peter discovered, it's not always easy being obedient to God's word, is it? It's not always easy to do what's right. It's certainly not always comfortable. I think especially when what God calls us to do is against the grain of what our culture and our society are feeding us. And I think that's often why we get stuck in that rut, isn't it? If this is the way we've always done it, because it's comfortable, isn't it? It's easy. We, we know what that feels like. But what I absolutely love about this story is that a result of Peter's obedience, the floodgates opened and the good news just spread like wildfire. It spread so dramatically and the church grew. And I couldn't help ask myself over and over again, imagine what would happen if I allowed God to do the same in me. If I was that willing to let God change me, what could he do? What could he do in us if we were willing to be that obedient? Well, chapter 10 closes with a beautiful picture of the power of the gospel as a result of Peter's obedience in following God. And it's with this renewed excitement of, of this revelation that he realizes he looks at this house full. I mean, isn't Cornelius a major evangelist before he's even started, before he's even a Christian? He's already gathered all his friends. Come listen to this guy. And he looks at these faces and he just knows they're ready to hear the good news of Jesus. And he's right, because before he's even finished sharing the good news of Jesus, God comes down and by his Holy Spirit, he pours the Holy Spirit out on all those who are listening. So let's read a little bit about that as we come to the end in verse 44 of chapter 10. While Peter was still speaking these words, the, the gospel, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that that be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with him a few more days. The Jews looking on who'd gone with, with Peter for the journey were absolutely amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, had been given by God. Do you remember at Pentecost a few chapters ago, they received the Holy Spirit, didn't they? A sign that God was with them, a sign of their new walk with Jesus. And now the Gentiles have the same have a Pentecost, the Holy Spirit poured out. What greater sign could you have than this? I think God's just saying, here, I'm driving the point home. Uh, Peter and Paul puts it beautifully, doesn't he? There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, no male nor female. You're all one, all equal in Christ Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit being poured out. No favourites, all accepted, all filled with God's Spirit. The ground is level when we come to the cross. Peter uses these words, like we haven't got time to go through chapter 11, but he sums up as he tells the story, um, he sums it up with these words. So, if God gave them the same gift he's given us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? May we be those who humbly open ourselves up like Peter, to be shaped by God's word. Not just once, but every day, daily basis. May we be those who are willing to be corrected and at the same time, therefore, be willing to have our faith deepened as we understand more of God's amazing grace. And my prayer is, I'm sure yours would be too, that we never be those who stand in God's way, never be those who limit God's work, 
Wouldn't it be awful if our prejudice, if our lack of humility, our unwillingness to be subject to God's word limited who found and heard and received the grace of God? You know, Cornelius and his household, their lives were transformed, weren't they, that day as they heard the gospel. They were no longer banished to the outer courts of the Jewish temple, far away from God. Now both Jews and Gentiles discover there's no barrier between them, but no barrier between God either. The veil has been torn in two. Jesus' death and resurrection has made a way for all to come close to God. But isn't it beautiful that God comes near to us, receive the Holy Spirit? Perhaps you identify with Cornelius this morning. I wonder if you're searching, maybe today for the first time, receive that amazing grace. See your life transformed and changed by the grace of God. But Peter... Peter's life was amazingly transformed that day too, wasn't he? You know, God did some weeding in his heart, didn't he? God dug deep and uprooted that prejudice, that uprooted that wonky theology, humbling him, working in him. And as we said, because of that work, the Gentiles heard the gospel and the gospel spread. I want to be like Peter this morning, don't you? I so want to be like Peter. I know so often I fail, so often I'm not. But my heart longs to be willing, willing to let God to do some gardening in my life today. Get his trowel out and uproot that stuff that's not right. Fill me again with his spirit. I want to live effectively for him. You know, as we let God weed out the stuff that shouldn't be there, we make more space for the God to fill us, don't we? Let's pray. Let's ask God to fill us this morning. Father, we do feel challenged this morning by the words we've heard. We thank you that your word does challenge us. Lord, I want to pray that it wouldn't just be a challenge we've heard and we walk out the door and then we get back in the rut of doing things we've always done the way we've always done them. We get back in the rut of ignoring those things that you're putting your finger on to change. Lord, even now we just wait in your presence and ask you to speak to us, to get your trowel and dig those roots out. Lord, we long to be those who are so full of your spirit, walking in step with you and sharing the good news of Jesus with everyone we meet. No favourites, no, no one off limits, that we might share the grace of the Lord Jesus this week. Come fill us, we now. Come, Holy Spirit, now come and fill us. Equip us to speak for you. And Lord, if there's someone here, like Cornelius, is just hearing the good news for the first time, realising that God loves them, that God has no favourites, no one's excluded, And God, I pray, open their hearts. May they receive your spirit as they recognize you, Lord of all. Father, come minister to us, speak to us, lead us on, lead us deeper into you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.